0: Thanks, Mike, for finally letting me tour the Cage Club Podcast Network studios.
1: No problem, Brian. But hey, could you not tell Joey? He hates it when you mess around with his stuff.
0: Is that every Nick Cage movie ever?
1: Yep. From fast times to massive talent, this network is pretty much the house that Nikki Coppola built. Hey, what about over there?
0: Where do those stairs go?
1: Hi, this is Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. The Cut by Cut Francis Ford Coppola Podcast. And this is a Cage Club Network
0: production. Wow. Feels weird saying buonasera, have a seat, have a glass, but welcome to Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. I'm Brian Rodriguez, but we're not starting the podcast without Michael. Where, where's Michael?
1: Uh d- don't worry, I'm here. We can start the podcast and Brian, I agree, but today we're not in Italy. We're in Ireland.
0: Ireland, yes, as, as I uh, was reminded by the strange Irish poacher lurking in <laughs> in the brush over there. So, wow, love that Irish accent. This is going to be a fun one today, Mike. This is an early Coppola film, yeah. his official directorial debut. You know, we'll talk that he was doing other things before this as well, of course. But Mike... Remember, keep your friends close and your fellow podcasters closer and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. While you're there, leave us a five star review or a positive rating. Also. That would be nice. Happy New Year.
1: Yes. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Brian. Bonsari. <laughs> <laughs> we are a show that,
0: that, that gives the full disclosure, as you well know, seller dwellers out there. Uh, we are recording just before New Year, but I realized this episode would come out in January 2023. So, a belated yet early Happy New Year to you, Mike.
1: Nice, nice. Very cool. You too, as well, Brian. Happy New Year, Happy Holidays.
0: And I hope we could help you out there with your holidays with our two kind of Christmas episodes or holiday episodes that we just released a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, our first was that extra special last-minute coppola wish list kyle was a guest on that that was fun a lot of good gifts there
1: yeah that was a ton of fun didn't get any of those gifts for christmas maybe next year (laughs) well you got that cool mug that was really cool we got that on the air but a lot of fun that episode researching the gifts and everything and uh yeah it was a good idea and then the most depressing claymation christmas special Uh, in history. So that was, as well, another good episode.
0: Yes, uh, for Christmas proper. Originally, I was calling it a very Coppola Christmas, part one. But Mm -hmm. as I was listening, it was like the least Coppola episode we had, (laughs) because we were just talking (laughs) and having a good time. So I called it a slightly Coppola Christmas one. Hopefully Uh. we get to do that every year. Uh, Yes, but we talked... The Junkies Christmas, William S. Burroughs, that was a depressing movie, but you know what? Uh, Some people hit me up about that. It's funny. It's funny, Mike. Uh Uh-huh. Our mutual friend Christian Larson, he threw a Christmas party, and I was up there with my wife, and we were just talking, and literally, out of the corner of my ear, I hear someone mention The Junkies Christmas and i was
1: like <laughs> what, you know well, what I mean? it, it, if anywhere it would it would be up at larsons where you have like the most eclectic group of people you're ever probably going to meet at a party interested in the most sort of minute kind of genre stuff you know just minutia just like the, <laughs> the coolest craziest thing so like that's very cool. I mean, I'm I'm a little surprised, but not surprised to hear that you heard it there.
0: Y- yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. If it was going to be a place, it was going to be in the Larson Funhouse, right? The Larson VHS right. Funhouse uh, of things you thought were forgotten. I had to just like do a double take and, and speak with this gentleman. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out. His name is Michael Del Castillo, and I'm going to give him a shout out for a couple reasons. One, because he knew that movie. Two, we ended up striking a fun conversation where he mentioned that he recently interviewed Roman Coppola. I'm like, what? What? Music to my ears. He's actually a writer for Forbes, so check his stuff out. He writes a lot about cryptocurrency and and things like that. It's Forbes after all. And apparently, to raise money for his films, Roman Coppola has invented like a Roman Coppola coin.
1: Oh no, an NFT? Like, wait, or is it... Or, or is this real crypto? Is this like Dogecoin? Like Bitcoin? So there's Coppola coin?
0: There's Coppola coin, yeah.
1: I need one. <laughs> what a great sponsor. Reach out, Coppola coin.
0: <laughs> I said I wanted one too. Uh, regardless, he ended up being a big Coppola <laughs> fan. You know, He was like, let me know if you ever want to talk Coppola. So maybe we'll have him on because I think that'd be pretty cool. Because I, I want to get into the nice. nitty gritty of what it's like to meet an actual Coppola in the flesh yeah. and talk to
1: them. I bet they have amazing cologne. <laughs> Just looking at Uncle Francis and how sharp he dresses and all that stuff, it's like I bet he smells great too. <laughs> is that a weird thing? To kind of, is that a weird thing to say? I don't know. <laughs> a
0: little, but this is Uncle Francis's wine cellar. It's all about the taste. Yeah, it's all about yeah. the
1: smell, right? It's like half amazing cologne, half uh, Italian kitchen you know it's just like that merge like and
0: maybe and maybe a little bit of wine mike oh, as yeah. i open my wine today it is a white nice wine. Nice
1: segue very nice segue
0: francis coppola diamond collection sauvignon blanc 2021 i thought i'd go with a white wine to clean the the, mm-hmm. the palette for the holiday you know
1: Not too much red flowing lots What's of red flowing nice pour is that that asmr they talk about
0: Mike, it's that ASMR. <laughs> oh, it
1: has to be a voice? It kinda, it could be a...
0: <laughs> I feel like when they do those videos, it's like someone always whispering, like, eating a pancake. And then they eat the pancake.
1: <laughs> it would be much better <laughs> if they're like, all right, I'm eating a pancake. And yeah. then it's just like, <laughs> I, am, I am crushing a soda can.
0: <laughs> oh, man. So. Love to have uh, Michael on one day to talk uh, maybe Coppola films or to talk Roman Coppola or whatever, but yeah, bravo.
1: It made me wonder when you mentioned that if, not that we're ever going to run out, of stuff to watch because we'll just keep watching Francis's stuff, but, like, we could venture out into his uh, Roman-produced stuff. We could watch Jason Schwarzman's films. We might have to watch Talia Shire movies, which means Rocky. So, you know, (laughs) the door's wide open.
0: (laughs) Well, I thought, basically, that we're free, yes, to cover, and I think I have mentioned this on previous episodes, everything Coppola was attached to. But also, I think we can branch off into films produced, written, or directed by the clan. We yeah. can't do acted in. Come on. I mean we could, uh, but well, like well, then we gotta do all the cage films again.
1: That's what I was just gonna say. We can't do all the cage movies, but it's not like Tali Shire has like an IMDB from Here to the Moon like cage. You know, she was in like a bunch of fil- like a handful of films. Not even a lot of films. Really. She's not actually you know, I don't know that she's all that much like an actor. She was uh like she's great and all but i feel like more that's, something you, think, can, that's something you think mike more that's something really okay well that's something maybe then we'll talk about uh more off air but i just have to say my favorite segment we're already in it part of the show where we talk about stuff to do on the show <laughs> what the show can be <laughs> I
0: love it. I love it. Because you know why, Mike? You and I are creatives, just like Uncle Francis. We're always thinking about our next project. (laughs) We're always thinking about how to alter and change our current project, how to change the cut of our current episode. That's what we do here, because we are just disciples of the man himself, Uncle Francis.
1: It's funny, too. I wonder if he was the first... Because, you know, his good friends Stephen and George also kind of picked up the habit of recutting their movies. And Spielberg, you know, that 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 E. T. thing he did, which we don't like to talk about with the walkie-talkies, but also like Close Encounters has been cut several, several times. So, you know, I'm not saying we watch that stuff. I'm just saying like it's interesting how he's he's like a virus. Like he gets into people's minds and they're like, Oh, I'm gonna try recutting my movie and then we get the special editions and it's like, oh well (laughs) it's fun to think. I'm not
0: against it. I'm not against it. We'll never run out of material here. Plus, Mike, come on, you know we have a new Coppola movie coming out.
1: I can't wait. Oh, I love uh, it. You
0: you want to do the jingle? The, the news thing? Do you remember?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh... Megalopolis update. Megalopolis <laughs> Very cool. is here. They are shooting and actually... We got our first on-set photos the other day. Just Google it. You can find them anywhere. It's just like one or two, but it's Francis like next to the director's chair. Mm-hmm. It, it's some other shots. I think an Aubrey Plaza shot. They've been filming in Georgia. My favorite thing, and a couple people sent me this. My favorite thing out of the whole Mechalopolis update recently is a tweet by whoever this person is, John Frankensteiner. That was their like Twitter handle. Okay, that's a great name. I love that. Maybe they're fans of your other show, Monsters That Made Us. Who knows? Maybe. Frankenstein. <laughs> but, amazing tweet. It went viral. It's th- I'm going to read it. Seeing pics of Coppola on the Megalopolis set is surreal. This madman is really <laughs> doing it. Yep. He sold wine to everyone's aunt for decades so he could finance his own $100 million white whale art film before he dies. What a beautiful final act of artistic lunacy.
1: Oh, couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, this guy sounds like uh, one of us. Uh, This is the perfect tweet, if you ask me, for this situation. (laughs) (laughs) Truly incredible. Yeah, you know, I looked at that picture and I was like, wow, he looks like he's back in a way. You know, like he's in it. Like he looks like he's in the shit. Like he just has this look on his face of like it's happening and like, you know, no nonsense, and just like it's, it's, I can't believe it's gonna come out. Like, that's gonna be amazing. What a show that's gonna be!
0: We've also seen though Coppola direct in like a t shirt and like casual things. No, he's in a full suit well, here and I a think, tie, and he's ready yeah, to go.
1: But this, I feel like he picked this up on Godfather Part Three, maybe, where like all the publicity photos of him directing are in these full suits, you know, and mm, it's like interesting. I, maybe he picked that up from marty uh, marty i think always directed in like nice clothes i could be wrong about that but uh, anyway those pictures i feel like maybe for, from the early years but uh i think like the last those like he did a string of indie films in the 2000s and yeah. i think a lot of those um you know i, I remember seeing him nicely nice and dressed up nice and everything but yeah i'm glad to see him it almost reminds me of like just the old days where like even pre-hitchcock just like directors dressed. In suits and shit. If they weren't dressing like lab assistants or or, or something like that, uh, very cool.
0: Well, we mentioned Roman Coppola and this person, uh, who modern director who really dresses to the nines to direct. Um, is a frequent partner of Roman Coppola and almost like a Coppola satellite family member. And right? that's uh, Wes, Wes Anderson, right? Wes yeah. Anderson's always directing in those like really tailored suits. Or at yes. least the perception I have of him is.
1: My, yeah, me too. Absolutely.
0: So tweets like that, anything you guys find out there that's Coppola-related, send it to our social media... Um. So on Instagram, we are at Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. On Twitter, I have yet to make a separate Twitter because I kind of was seeing where Twitter mm. went. You know, uh, for Uncle Francis.
1: Spoiler: It didn't go anywhere. Nope, <laughs> it's
0: here. Pe- people still need their hot stove baseball news, like me. So. Pretty much. My Twitter account, though, is oh my Rodriguez, O-H-M-Y, Rodriguez. I don't have a lot of followers. High School Slumber Party, my other podcast, has a lot more followers than me personally. So please follow me there. Please hit me up. Please private message me any Coppola-related thought you have. And, Mike, you're the Mikester everywhere, right?
1: Pretty much. Yeah, at the underscore Mikester on Twitter, uh, Instagram, all over the map. Uh, send all the stuff to brian you don't need to bother me with that
0: (laughs) bother mike bother mike
1: (laughs) i'm joking i'm joking i love the memes i love i love the gifts i love the memes
0: do a group message with me and mike then we can have a group conversation
1: see now we're living in 2023 group messages
0: (laughs) (laughs) mike the next segment we have yes. yes (laughs) <laughs> the next segment we have is one of my favorites and it was really what spawned our christmas list episode oh it's a okay. mike's mike's merchandise of the episode of the week it's of theme merchandise mike what have you found in the wild for yeah us?
1: i guess mike's mike's merch corner uh we need a jingle for that like cash register ching maybe the opening the table Floyd money is that yeah. is <laughs> can we play a couple of seconds of that just like the the, the money falling. But okay, so today I wanted to stay sort of in the realm of the film that we are featuring today. So I was really scouring the internet for Dementia 13 Ooh. merchandise and nice reliable I was wondering if it would be here, but good old reliable T-Public doesn't just have t-shirts, they also have mugs and all that kind of thing. And and uh the first thing that popped up was this lovely Dementia 13 uh, coffee mug that I might wow. actually have to buy. I have, I have to replace a couple uh, mugs over the last year that I haven't yet. I think I could afford to get this for for eleven bucks on sale. It's the original poster art on a mug. That's here. really and, nice. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. You know, I've I've recommended so many shirts that episode that I was like, I can't do another shirt. I can't do another shirt. So I wanted to find something else that was kind of cool that you could show. Your love for this film in particular with every morning, have a nice hot cup of Dementia 13.
0: And look, you can never have enough mugs. You never know when you're going to be like Connie and destroy all, all the silverware in the house, right? So, <laughs> so, like, you can never have enough mugs. I like this, Mike. And so, Mike, occasionally I'll contribute to this segment. And for nice. the next couple of episodes, I will be contributing. And I'm oh, going to ban sweet. you. From something, I'm gonna ban you from
1: something. Wait, wait, hold on, wait, hold on. First, before you, before you throw out this ban, um, my own show, I'm banned from. I didn't know we could do this. I gotta think of something I could ban uh, hear, you. Hear from me a... Once I say, well, you'll understand. Okay, but before that, I just want to say, you, you like completely trounced me on the Christmas episode with (laughs) suggestions and ideas even though Kyle may not have thought so I thought so Uh, I think you're better than me at my own game and that's all I gotta say
0: you're great at your game I beat you by one point Mike one point in overtime
1: (laughs) I know that'll be the running gag for a few episodes now that uh you've you're contributing here so okay so so what's your condition so the
0: Academy, you know, the Academy Awards, the Oscar oh, people. Oh, uh, the
1: uh, Motion Pictures, Art, and Sciences.
0: Yes, th- those okay, just making sure. <laughs> they uh, recently, I think last year, opened a museum. And mm. it's supposed to be really cool out in L.A. But the museum has a store, so I got a targeted ad oh. for Godfather merchandise from that museum store. So, Is it another fucking watch? Is it another? No, no, no! It's not a watch. <laughs> I'm joking. But we love the watch
1: now. I like the watch now.
0: I'm just banning you from going to this Academy Museum store for your okay. for your merchandise because I want to run these off week to week because they've done oh. I think a really good job at this place. Unsolicited plug here. Look, we are still looking for a cannoli sponsorship. We are looking for any kind of Italian food sponsorship. Uh, of course, yeah. a wine sponsorship.
1: The watch though, like I was just joking about me not liking it. I mean, I thought the little tiny Godfather action figure was a little much, but they replaced that with the rose, I think. And Anyway, the point is, we would love a watch. and we A watch we sponsorship, ep- for sure. A whole episode reviewing it. Anyway, continue, sir. I'm
0: going to petition the Academy, the Academy Museum, to be specific, to be our official museum sponsorship of Uncle oh. Francis's Wine Cellar. Um, because yeah. their store, again, I've never been, but their store is amazing. So, Mike, the first item that I'm going to share with you from their store, and I'll share with our listeners as well. I still need to share all uh, the gifts from Christmas on um, social media. I've been a little bit busy, but it's a mug as well.
1: Oh, oh my God. What is this? What is this? Louis Italian American Restaurant Diner mug. Wow. Yeah, you, of
0: course, this is the place where Michael kills McCluskey and the Turk. But I just feel like this is if you know, you know thing, right? Like if you're going through mm-hmm. someone's, ca- I don't know why you're going through someone's cabinets. Then again, I go through people's wine cellars.
1: Yeah, if you've slept over and you're looking for a mug or if they're having a party and you're having some coffee, you know, you put out a couple of mugs.
0: And you're like, oh, some people are just going to pass this and think it's an Italian restaurant in the Bronx or whatever. But Godfather <laughs> yeah, fans are yeah. like, whoa, this is an awesome mug. And this mug is beautiful and it's an Academy Museum exclusive. So Ooh, you could buy it online, nice. you could buy it at the museum. But I thought it was yeah. I want to share here.
1: You know what I like about the it's funny that we both did mugs, but you know what <laughs> I like about this this mug? It's look at the shape of this mug. It looks like a diner mug. Like it looks like an old 100%. restaurant mug. You see the way that it's sculpted and, and everything, like very nice, very cool. And
0: Mike. I'd like you to zoom in on that checkerboard pattern.
1: Yes, it is the Godfather marionette hand. Why? <laughs> and, you, and, you, no, and you really have to look at
0: it to see that, though. So it doesn't, it lets you know it's from the Godfather, but it doesn't tip you off if you were, like, looking at this from afar. You have to really put it up to your face to see that.
1: Very nice. Super cool. Glad you're contributing with this, actually. And, uh, yeah, very nice. Cool. Love this segment. So fun.
0: So that's our merch of the week,
1: guys. Store Next. is, hold on a second, Brian. Store is closed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> we'll throw the table. <sighs> yeah. yeah, right. We should have, like, the shutter, you know, like, you're in the city. You must see hear that all yeah. night long while you're, in, like, the shutter's going down.
0: While I'm walking the streets of Times Square at 2 a.m. No, um... Yeah, you know,
1: turning tricks. <laughs> 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 I mean, it is 1973, after all. No, it Anyway. Is.
0: Mike, Next segment, uh, you're, you're, a jingle for this one. It's uh, where's the Godfather streaming?
1: Oh, what is what is the? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yes. Excuse me. <clears throat> where in the world is the Godfather streaming? It's <laughs> something like that, right? It was yeah, it's
0: it's the Rocapella Carmen San Diego theme. Um, yep. So on on this segment, we check in on where the Godfather film is streaming because as we've been doing this podcast, it moves frequently. Um, so we are recording this. A little bit early because of the holiday. So we're still in 2022, as I mentioned. It is still on AMC. They've been running it on AMC mm-hmm. regularly, by the way. So Christmas, yeah, they ran it yeah. a bunch.
1: Um, Pretty much
0: every day, they run at least one of the Godfather movies a couple times. Right?
1: Behind the scenes, it's December 29th. It's not like last week. Like we're recording this. It's basically next year. You know, I don't feel like it's going to move in three weeks, but then again, who knows?
0: I think it might because it's a new year, a new month, and that's generally where things move. So if it does move, huh. I'll probably, while editing, insert a clip and tell you. So that clip will be inserted here. Just a quick update. As the calendar has turned to January 2023, The Godfather is now on Peacock. Peacock. <laughs> and if you heard nothing then the godfather is still on amc
1: <laughs> very fun
0: all right let's talk dementia 13 if you're one of these so in the catholic church if you're catholic or grew up catholic or, or honestly any church i think they're the people who go to church all the time and the people who just go on the major holidays we just hit one right christmas and then the people who like go to church all the time. Look at the people. Like, oh, you only go for Christmas, Easter, and whatever other holiday, right? I think Coppola is very similar, right? You have the Coppola fans who are just like Godfather, Apocalypse Now fans, you know.
1: Right. Right. Okay.
0: And then you have the religious people like us. I'm getting more religious because like, there's a lot of these movies <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen.
1: Yeah, so, I'm like... getting, I'm becoming devout. Like this is my <laughs> first, my first screening of this, and I'm even well, I don't want to. I don't want to give my. I don't want to tip my hat too much, but like, I'm deeper in now. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> so I was going to ask you. So
0: I had known that this was either Coppola's first movie or one of his first movies, just from like word of mouth and, you know, probably mm-hmm. just nerding on directors and Wikipediaing them, right? So you had never seen *Dementia 13 before?
1: No, uh, I'm trying to remember. <sighs> Sorry about my my memory right now is crap, but like, I thought I had seen it, but I had seen another. Um, old Corman movie with uh, Boris Karloff. And I think Coppola had directed some of it and like Jack Nicholson's in it and Dick Miller's in it. And like a lot of people directed pieces of it, even Jack Nicholson. And he even wrote some of it, I believe. So that movie is called the terror from 1963. And I thought that this, I thought that these were the same movie under like maybe a different name or something. So like bottom line, I had not seen dementia 13 until today. I had known about it. I thought I'd seen it, but it was The Terror. And I think there's another, there might be another Coppola movie floating around out there I hadn't seen from the Corman years. As oh, there, well. there's, a,
0: there's a couple. There's like a, a couple of movies that I think we'll cover eventually, where cool. Corm- Corman literally buys a movie abroad and it's yes. like coppola recut this shoot new scenes and make it for an american audience and nice. mike y- you and i talk roger corman a lot on high school slumber party and a lot of oh, yeah. times of charm i feel like but let's say someone just jumped in and they are just a godfather apocalypse now you know fan boy or girl and they've heard the name roger corman but they're not too familiar with him can you explain first who roger corman was and his relation to francis
1: Oh, man. I mean, I could give you, like, the, you know, TLDR kind of situation, but, like, basically, Roger Corman uh, is one of America's greatest, like, not only film director and producers, but, like, cultivator of talent and kind of nurturer of, like, some of our greatest actors and directors of this generation and People under his tutelage were guys, not just Francis, but Martin Scorsese and Jonathan Demi and John Sales. I mean, James Cameron, Bogdanovich, Jack Nicholson, you know, Stallone, Shatner, just like everybody sort of went through his school of filmmaking. And what he did was he was kind of took that adage in the 50s and 60s of like, sell the idea, make the poster, get the money and then deliver kind of like whatever you can Yeah, B movies. Short amount of time. They turned out to be B movies. They he basically became the king of the drive-in for that reason. Turned out lots of double features, just really quick turnovers. Was always about the gimmick. Movies had to have a gimmick, a great poster, and a cool idea, but they didn't always have to deliver on that idea. You know, you just sort of had to get it paid for before it was made, and then, you know, you could put the movie out was sort of his what I understand was kind of like that was, like, basically his philosophy, right? And so this is not at the very beginning, but this is sort of towards the start of him finding, like, lots of these young American people coming fresh out of school and college. Because
0: he'll be very prolific in terms of the amount of movies he produces a year, but yeah. also... Corman's active till when? Like today. He's
1: he's still going. Yes. Yeah, this like, era till, yeah. till like now. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> like you know, I mean he was born in twenty-six, so the guy's almost a hundred. And um, yeah, you know, he's even responsible for stuff like the like Sharknado type stuff you see on sci-fi. Like he's still going. It's just instead of the drive-in, he's like, you know, he went to direct to VHS and now he's direct to streaming. So he's always like on that curve. B movie king.
0: If you're for whatever reason not a fan of Coppola, but like a weirdo just a fan of the podcast that me and Mike have done, you've heard us talk about him a lot because now I realize that Roger Corman is probably the most important filmmaker who's not a household name to everybody, right? Like if you know film he is. But he just has woven himself into everything. When we, Mike, we've, we've talked superhero movies. Roger Corman comes up. When we talk teen <laughs> yeah. films, Roger Corman comes up. When we're talking yeah. Coppola, Roger Corman comes up. Like everything in the history of modern film, like runs through Roger Corman somehow.
1: Like, I don't think it would be going too far to say that he was like a Louis B. Mayer of his time or is like that kind of thing or, you know, just like a mogul. okay? but instead of one of the big Paramount or MGM or Universal or anything like that, like he's independent. You know, all of his stuff has been like AI, American International Pictures and other sort of you know, independent the Yeah. Distributions kind of stuff. So like that I think is one thing keeping them out of the spotlight for the most part, but yeah, I mean, his contemporaries bow to him, right? Like everybody in the industry knows him. And I guess for him, like he enjoys from what I understand, being the man behind the scene, being the wizard of Oz sort of situation. And so, you know, in his day, he was known if you, if you take my meaning, like before the Coppola's and the James Cameron's and everybody, it was sort of like, who is this Roger Corman breaking in on this little shop of horrors was like a huge thing. I think was shot in like two days or something for like a couple thousand dollars. So yeah, he's been on the map a long time
0: for sure. I just don't think like, you know, we know the Scorsese's we know the Spielberg's like that's not, that was never Corman's aim necessarily. Um, And we also associate today, like, indie films, independent films with, like, these sort of dramas or quirky films. And, like, no, he's the real king of independent cinema, let's be honest. And I just wrote a list down. uh, You mentioned a lot of them, but I wrote a list down of uh, directors he mentored. And Coppola, who obviously we'll talk about today. Ron Howard, Scorsese, Jonathan Demme you mentioned. Bogdanovich you mentioned. But Joe Dante, big one with Corman, as we know. I know you're a Dante fan. And how about... How about the Avatar man himself, James Cameron, Yeah, also yeah. Comes from
1: the Corman School? Piranha 2, or one of that space movie, I can't remember the name of always. It was, like ripped, <laughs> like, it was like Alien Ripped Off or something. I don't know which came first, but I know it's just throw a stone and you're going to hit somebody that learned something from him firsthand, I bet. you know It's just wild.
0: So on previous episodes, we mentioned that Coppola was the one of the first, if not the first, of his generation to sort of crack into old Hollywood. And he Mm -hmm. gets his start not cracking through, like, the traditional studio system. He'll get that later. But it's through Corman, who's sort of, like, this badass independent film producer who's producing these drive-in movies. And Coppola's, like, his... I don't know how to describe it. Like, he's just his everything guy, right? Like... Coppola's a sound editor on some of his films. Coppola okay. is a is a lighting guy on some films. Coppola is an assistant director on some Corman films. Like he just is like a young kid. When I say young, he's twenty three when he directs this film. So you could imagine, you know, he's fresh out of school doing a million things for Corman, getting his feet wet, and and I don't know, like I'd love to hear an interview with with Coppola regarding Corman if he if he was enjoying it, but how could you not in this whirlwind yeah. Uh, atmosphere, right?
1: Yeah, and he get access to every picture, like going through Corman's hands. Like I didn't realize that he was distributing, you know, all of the famous foreign films, like Polini, the Italian films, Kurosawa, by yeah, yeah, the Bergman stuff, like Truffaut, like every, you know, every. So like that would have that must have been an an immense caveat as well to be like, hey, like let's go try and find some cool movies to sell, (laughs) you know, like uh, just being on the cutting edge, like next to a guy who is looking for the, you know, who's always sort of looking to push the medium and the industry, like definitely can see that rubbing off on Francis as far as his ethics and, you know, his vision, right? Like it's, it's awesome. And like, yeah, for, for Francis to be a Jack of all trades, I mean, definitely, amazing training in the trenches there with Roger to, uh, to then, you know, hear all the stories we've heard about him in the editing room, you know, down the line. And he's not just a director, he's the auteur. Like, it's sort of an auteur breeding ground mm-hmm. over there at, like, the Corman Farm.
0: So I want to talk quickly about the cuts of this film. Uh, you and I watched the most readily available version of it. And when I say readily available, it's available on almost every streaming service, like, <laughs> yeah. from Paramount Plus to Tubi, to YouTube, to Mike, the Wikipedia article has the video of the entire film. Get
1: out of here! You want to know? I think the answer to that is because it's in public domain. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, I got it. I actually came across a copy while cleaning that I had on DVD, and it was just the disc. It was super bare bones. I just put it in, and the movie starts. And I, you know, but it looked great. And uh, yeah, I don't, can't remember when the hell I got it.
0: Maybe you and I need to sell a. Uh, Uncle Francis's wine cellar branded edition of this movie if it's in the Ooh. public domain.
1: <laughs> yeah, not? we could do it. Add an audio commentary track yeah. to it or something. I'd be up See, for that.
0: I need one of the nephews and or nieces out there to write down all our ideas and then like email me after the show. Because I forget them. <laughs> the wine doesn't yeah. help.
1: Um <laughs> Tech, uh, you could Twitter Brian at oh my Rodriguez. <laughs>
0: so okay couple other things I want to mention before we get into this story. So, oh, the cuts, sorry. So, oh, yeah. the cuts. There was a director's cut released in 2021. Yep. I don't know what it's about, but I think you'll have some idea when I get into the story of this film. Um, okay. You know, how it was made. It's not going to surprise you, Mike, because you know Corman well, but we'll get into it. A couple other okay. uh, cuts I do want to mention, though. Because it is, I believe, in public domain, or at least readily available, one of these like DVD companies, like... Uh, Vinegar Syndrome. Let's see. Oh, Slingshot DVD. They released right. a a 3D version, but it's not what? real 3D. You know when, like, you could like fake
1: make something 3D. Okay. Yeah. 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 Post conversion.
0: Post conversion. There are post conversion color cuts of this as well, Ooh, where it's just compute. It's computerized color. You, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, like it's a guess essentially.
1: I, I don't think that would be very. I wouldn't want to see that cuz I have a lot to say about the contrast in black and white in this movie. It's gorgeous. So,
0: so the th- besides for the director's cut, which I think we'll watch. I don't know if we're going to watch mm-hmm. the, the 3D one. Um the important <laughs> the important ones I, that I want to get my hands on aside from this one is uh in the UK and in Europe. Yes. There was a lot more gore apparently.
1: Ooh, uh- also, from what I understand, released under a different title, "The Haunted" and "The Hunted."
0: And Mike, there's a reason for that. That if you don't know, I think I'll blow your mind. If you do know,
1: okay, I'm gonna just take a wild guess, but uh, the word dementia couldn't be used in no, advertising. No, no, no. It's okay, nothing, <laughs> it's nothing like that. But wait for the story. Just wait for the story.
0: All um, right, all right. I'm patient. I'm patient. So, so let's get into that story then, because I, oh, I I did not have it, to wait very
1: damn long? Did I?
0: <laughs> well, I was going to tell you about the other cut, but I realized I could weave it into the story and be Ooh, a better podcast. Nice, okay.
1: nice, like a, like a like a wonderful tapestry of of words that you're creating.
0: Something you might see in an Irish castle. So, <laughs> Roger, <laughs> Roger Corman sends Coppola off to Ireland to be the sound man on a film called The Young Racers. That's where our story begins. 1963. This is a film that stars a couple people in the movie we're going to talk about today, Dimension 13. Oh, cool. So, The Young Racers finishes, Francis reports back, and they are $22,000 under budget. Whoa. And Corman essentially says, hey, the investors gave us this money. We don't want to give it back. Let's make another movie. So Corman Hell originally yeah. is like, let me direct it myself. And he's like, I don't have the time. I have like a million projects lined up. Hey, Francis, why don't you just do something? Can you write something for me quick? So Francis wow. is in Ireland and he's like, fuck it. Let me do it. He gets a buddy wow. of his to help him. And in a couple of days, they write this script. Um, it was a very you know, rudimentary script. Mm-hmm. Corman says, all right, let's do it. But Francis wants to be a director and wants to make this movie so bad Behind Corman's back, he secures European distribution for the film for an extra $20,000. And he doesn't tell Corman about it.
1: Whoa. So that's why it has a different title. And does he have the foreign distribution rights then? I mean, was was Roger pissed?
0: I couldn't find Roger's reaction. All I read was that Francis thought he might be pissed. And like, as soon as the $22,000 check from Roger Corman came to him, he put it in the bank, like, away from Corman, just in he's case smart. he found out about the other 20000 and selling of the course. distribution rights. Uh, <laughs> who, again, if anyone knows about Corman's reaction, please let us know. But then Francis suddenly has double the budget, and, he, and he's ready to go. Corman had a couple directions for this film. And it was weird stuff like, I want it to be like Psycho. I want someone to have an ax or a knife in it. And he had like some okay. shot ideas and, and Francis was like, all right. And he added all those in. Wow. In terms of casting, uh, a couple of the stars of the young racers, like the main people in the movie are from mm-hmm. that movie that Francis is yeah. like, Hey, you're in Ireland. You want to stay a couple more weeks and get a little bit more money. And they're like, sure. Why not? Dude, that awesome. <laughs> he also went to this place in Ireland called the Abbey theater, and recruited a bunch of actors from that theater company. And for everyone else, he called his buddies from his California film schools That were like, if you could fly yourself out here, you could be in a movie.
1: Like George? <laughs> do you think he knew George by then? He didn't know George <laughs> at the time. Uh, I George don't know, just So, crazy. Okay, continue, because I have a lot to say here.
0: <laughs> no, so it was all shot on location in Ireland with that budget. Anyone in the cast you want to talk about? Because I do want Whoa. to get to... To to Corman's reaction to the yeah film.
1: so so before all that I just had to say like wow like talk about seizing your moment and seeing like an opportunity and not sitting on your ass and like being motivated and in that having that energy like you know you you basically have free location a free cast some actual like script notes like oh the axe is awesome i love a good axe murderer the psycho okay there's a little maybe there's one shot that reminds me of psycho with the knife with the you know but like other than that there's really not a lot of psycho going on maybe the the female dying halfway through but i'll even get to some of that i think that works really well this movie like kind of like was blowing my mind as i was watching i just wanna throw out a couple Names and titles of things before we get started, just to just to give you sort of a um, context of where I was coming from from here on out, since we're going to dive deep into the movie now. So I'm just going to throw out a couple words. Uh, Twilight Zone came to mind.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Universal and Hammer horror films, French New Wave. So like Godard definitely came to mind. Mario Bava, Lucio Fulci, like these Italian uh, Italian horror guys. Russ Myers. Okay. I don't know if anyone has watched any of that, but like he did a string of movies, like biker films, like Lorna and Mud Honey and Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and things like that, like very similar sort of vibes around this time with this. So I was kind of stunned in a lot of ways by this movie just because of how young he was
0: 23.
1: The speed and the amount of resources in which it was accomplished with, and just like the whole story behind it. Like I was like, I was so into this. I was really into this one.
0: You're absolutely right. Francis is a go-getter. And since Corman was so busy making other things, he like we said, he's so prolific. He's just, it's like a factory of movies here. Yeah. He left Coppola to his own, right? Like he wasn't, he never visited the set. He just wanted the finished product when it came in. So Coppola really got to control every aspect of this movie.
1: Nice. Nice. And... I think it's well directed for, for his, where he is at this stage, you know, like every character's got a different personality and like is acting differently. And, um, there's a nice sort of like, I was getting appropriately sort of confused and misdirected by the two blonde leads, you know, I was sort of getting them confused a little bit. I think, hundred you know, you're supposed to, uh, yeah. The things like the sibling the sibling stuff and the outsider thing, like I think it all worked. I the, the shock of the opening was really good. Just still oh, man, I was just like, Wow, <laughs> like, there's horror movies that have come out in the last, you know, couple of years that uh you know should have just remade Dementia thirteen instead.
0: Well unfortunately, Mike, they did remake Dementia thirteen.
1: Oh no, when was this?
0: I have no idea. Uh, 2017, it went oh, under my very radar. Recent.
1: Very recently.
0: Richard LeMay was the director. It didn't really. I guess
1: you know. since it's in public domain, I mean, you could basically remake it if you could remake Night of the Living Dead if you felt like it. but...
0: Chiller you know. Films, have you heard of them? They, they did it. I don't know. Mm,
1: not really. Not really. Uh,
0: apparently, it's not very good. But I do want to say this before yes. you get into the nitty gritty. It's okay. When Francis we, delivered. Before we get into the nitty gritty. Sorry, before we get into the nitty gritty. <laughs> Francis delivers the final product to Corman. They're in the screening room together. And Corman hates it. He storms out. He gets so
1: angry. How could he hate it? Like, a woman literally, like, undresses on screen in front of the camera for him. And there's the dripping of the blood off the axe and the exotic locations. So
0: so here's what he, he said. Corman uh, said it was too short Which is true Like it's, mm. it's an hour and 15 minutes
1: Okay, okay, maybe, maybe But think of how many more times You can run that film, Roger You can play it that many more times a day At the theater <laughs> uh,
0: sh- uh, Yeah, sure, but like there was other things He was mad at Apparently he insisted on dubbing A lot of the dialogue So a lot of the dialogue mm. is dubbed He cut scenes that he thought were too complicated For the audience um, he cut shots that he thought were too long He brought in one of his other directors, Jack Hill, to shoot some sequences Oh, wow, okay, alright uh, The poacher stuff apparently um, was added to the film huh. like, That's why we don't see the poacher with the more of the main characters all the time, you know um, Cor- Corman um, wanted a little bit more
1: comedy in the movie. Interesting. Jack Hill, by the way, I love his work. He did a lot of um, Pam Greer movies like Coffee, mm. Foxy Brown, The oh, Big nice. Dollhouse, all those like women in prison yeah. films that were shot in the Philippines with Sid Haig. He did Spider Baby with Lon Chaney Jr. I think that was his,
0: one of his. Final oh, wow. a big so, guy. Then. Yeah. So, like,
1: yeah, really integral to the uh, Corman crew as well, but just never really broke into the big leagues. Ever.
0: So, back into our versions, right? I wonder if the director's cut... Again, I haven't seen it. I know you haven't seen it. I wonder if the director's cut is more of Coppola's vision. But since this is such a... Public domain thing. I wonder again how faithful it actually is to Coppola, or if it's a money grab. Again, we'll mm. watch at some point.
1: Well, I wonder if Coppola was like, "Hey, that movie's in public domain. I should just fuck with it and put it back the way I had it." True. You know, before Roger. You know, and it's also weird that Roger's like, "It's too short, but we're going to cut stuff." Um, <laughs> but then I well, guess they did add all that poacher hunting guy thing. So you're saying Coppola didn't direct the the uh, the decapitation sequence. That, or any that particular
0: stuff. one, no. Um, but bad. it was lengthened because it opens theatrically, which I, I want to get my hands on this copy. The theatrical opening has something that either Jack Hill or Corman filmed himself, and apparently it's, like, really dumb. It's a psychiatrist, and he's giving the test to the audience.
1: Oh, no, I got to see this.
0: Like, are you stable enough to watch this film? Like, it is, oh, like, they are did you going to make it? Yeah.
1: I want to see it. That sounds fun. <laughs>
0: Apparently, Coppola was pissed at this. Like everyone was like, "This doesn't even belong in this film," but it it added time. And and Corman said he just wanted this part to get the runtime uh, more than seventy something, or like up to eighty something oh. minutes. Well, oh. I know, don't know the why.
1: easiest the easiest way to do that. And I think the reason why these became longer and longer in films is the credits, man. Just like elaborate on the, just let those credits roll, baby, you know? And like, there's your runtime, fill it up, that kind of thing, you know? Or insert shots, you know, go back to shots that are already in the film and cut back and, you know, cut back to those and use them as filler or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to think like if I was working for Roger and I was sitting in that office watching this movie as like an intern trying to like get up in the, in the world and up the ladder, Those are just some of the things that I would have suggested as far as, like, we don't need to go out and shoot more. Let's do a couple more of those flashbacks with Billy, you know, just replay that stuff three or four more times.
0: But you know what it's like to be, like, you know, that mentor-mentee relationship, right? Like, nothing's ever good enough, essentially. Like, he could have turned in the perfect movie and Corman would have had problems with it, right?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so okay. 69% by critics out there on, on Rotten Tomatoes, 35% by the audience. This is not, like, necessarily considered a well-liked film. Huh. 2.8 on Letterboxd. But That's I think the film colors itself knowing what Coppola would do later, right? It probably would have been just <laughs> totally. another forgotten Corman film if if Coppola didn't become well. something. <sighs>
1: You know what, Brian? We say that, but I don't know, man. I mean, like, this movie has style. This movie has, like, a grace to it. Like, this movie's film language, you can tell that it's not some slouch, that this is a guy that has seen a lot of movies and not a lot, and not just, like, what's out in America, but, like, seen new stuff that, like, other people have. Like, I feel like there's a lot of. Crazy shots and cool close ups and interesting focusing on interesting things, and you know, great contrast in the black and white as well, with characters standing out during night and day. So, I don't know, I just really love the composition of a lot of this. And it, you know, it felt it reminded me of Rain People in a lot of ways, where in the sort of language of, of how it's put together and the editing and cutting and the way it cuts and follows they're also both about women um, women like sort of that uh, don't necessarily belong and so anyway, it, I found it to be uh, quite impressive like definitely for Coppola, but I'm sitting here going like I think this would have gotten noticed you know eventually by by like a cult status or
0: something. I don't disagree with you Mike in that sense. Um, it wasn't a hit at the time, but the things you talk about, I agree with like, it is really compelling. This wasn't a movie that the story maybe wasn't the best, but in terms of like the shot work, like that really brought me in.
1: Yeah. I'll say this about the story. It might be simple, but it's still a mystery. And I was guessing till the end, you know, I thought I knew, I thought it was who it turned out to be, but then I was like, it couldn't be. And I started seeing motives places, you know, maybe I was conjuring them myself, but I felt like the film was very playful In that way. And again, maybe it's just I watched the whole series of Wednesday recently, which is a murder mystery. I watched the whole uh, the glass onion recently, which is a murder (laughs) mystery. But like I was getting into the mystery of what is going on between all these people. Like what are their backstories and, you know, why, you know, what's going to happen when they come together?
0: No, and I agree with that. I think story wise, though, like it kind of felt like a cheaper Hitchcock, but. I'm glad you brought up the Twilight Zone thing, because it sort of felt like an episode of the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Maybe a little less sci-fi-y, but yeah.
1: Yeah, well, they would do those as well, you know, things that weren't quite science fiction, more fantasy or or even supernatural, right? Like a lot of that kind of stuff as well. And they did do a a season or so of hour-long episodes too. So I was feeling that vibe the entire way. I was like, Coppola would have directed bang or twilight zones like they would have kicked ass
0: yeah yeah no and again you can see someone with potential here where i think that this might have been lost history where i'll disagree with you is that again corman was making so many of these yeah being a host of high school slumber party to me this would be like a really talented director making a straight to dvd american pie sequel right like (laughs) maybe the shot works great Maybe people aren't gonna notice. Maybe they are. Who knows? I think Coppola again made the most of his first opportunity to have his like name on on credits in this kind of way. So it's not me like dissing the movie like that. And there were some shots in here, and there were some like angles, and, and I mean story beat angles that I was like, "Whoa, this is really cool." But I get that this is similar to the Rain people. Not a Coppola film for everybody. Not even like a horror film for everybody. But like deep in the weeds, guys like us. Absolutely, this is a must-watch.
1: I was glad to see some roots of his in horror, you know, because he'll go on to do Dracula. I mean, I could, Apocalypse Now can be a horror movie. And and The Godfather has a lot of shots that sort of pull from from that motif as well, the horror, the horror language and everything. And so watching it, it, like, all of that came to mind too, you know? It's like, I feel like if you're into horror movies or not but you're into coppola and you watch this this could be a gateway into being like you know older stuff isn't so bad black and white can be cool like i do feel like there are some cool sort of strange there's a there's a interesting strangeness to the entire vibe of this and the story there's some really cool stuff in here that is very kind of horror stuff like that like the thing and the whole lake stuff and the thing in the at the bottom of the lake and everything. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I I feel like if people did give this a chance because of Francis I, maybe they wouldn't like this per se but they might be like, well, some of this is cool. Maybe there's other stuff along this line I do like by other directors or, or thing or things of that nature. I still do think though I I mean, it's weird to think, you know, I almost feel like Coppola's name hurts this movie in a bit of a way because it's, you know, people are expecting more maybe, but like, I think so much here that, that they might be missing. And I feel like maybe if it wasn't attached to his name, you know, and there is no Ford, it's just Francis Coppola. But if he, if he was like, you know, Frank Schwartzman or something like that back then,
0: bad name, but yeah,
1: I'm just saying like, you know, uh, or Frank, Sh- I'm just trying to think of his other, like, other like, <laughs> his family, you know, Shire, uh, Frankie Shire. Frankie uh, Shire, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he just wasn't that household name, maybe this movie and whoever directed it would have gone off into like a different path. So, I don't know. I, I guess the long story short what I'm trying to say this whole time is like, I really like this movie. I think it should be watched more and closer and kind of scrutinized better because there's a lot here. I was very surprised. There's a lot here. I'd like to rewatch this a couple times.
0: There's also this thing that I was drifting off to while watching the film. So many, I feel like directors get stuck in a genre, especially when they start in horror, like they rarely can pull themselves out of horror. Uh, maybe it was yeah. easier at the time. I'm not sure, but could you imagine, though, like a trajectory a trajectory where Francis Ford Coppola only directs horror films? Because I could. Because oh like, like yeah. you said, Apocalypse Now has horror vibes. Um, even The Conversation, believe it or not, has like
1: oh, yeah.
0: horror vibes to it. And then, of course, he'll do straight horror like Dracula. But it's crazy because I think today, like, oh, you did a cool little horror film? Keep doing that horror lane. Stay in your lane. And back then, it was yeah. just like uh, people bounced in genres more than they do these days
1: yeah i think that's part of roger's school too it's like roger what are you working on today a horror film what about tomorrow a comedy what about the day after that oh that's gonna be a drama you know so like you sort of learn to to hop around as well when you're working on everything
0: yeah yeah and what a like yeah i know he went to like a great film school but what a film school to be in, like, the Roger Corman system. I just think, like, that's the most fascinating thing to me about, like, this his early career. Yeah, I love it. So, Mike, uh, what are some scenes, moments, you, you've already, like, hinted at some, but, like, <clears throat> parts in the movie that really captivated you? Because you seem transfixed in some stuff.
1: Well... I mean, I really, it really grabbed me from the opening. You know, I like the beginning where they're out in the boat and the
0: opening we saw, by the way, which is again the red. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, not like the like, psychiatrist. Not the warning.
1: Not yeah. the, yeah, are you sane enough to watch this picture? But I love that too. I want to see that. But yeah, I like the opening because I thought that the guy was going to murder his wife. And then I was like, well, then he has a heart attack and she has to get rid of his body and do that whole cover up. Like, that was. A good grabber, I thought. Already a sort of twist opening.
0: And, and just on that, like how sort of cold this character is. This woman, yes, who, who's like, oh, they're talking about a will right away. He's like, oh, well, I have to basically kill his mother uh, and pretend he's alive to get this money. It's and like any what
1: inheritance?
0: Yeah, and that, that typewriter yeah. scene with her, I really love. It's like old fashioned but really cool.
1: Yeah, I like the. I love that. Uh, that that song that plays during the uh, during the accidental death in the beginning is really a sort of like great contrast in what you're watching and what you're hearing. You know, you're hearing like this like almost Elvis type song, mm-hmm. and you're watching this this horrible murder thing. This well, it's not a murder, but like this cover up. I liked the whole concept in the story where so she goes to ireland and her dead husband has two brothers but also a dead sister and her dead sister is thought to be haunting the castle where her mother stays is like the family castle and they're all over there to um sort of like she wants what she says she wanted to like make amends and be part of the family and she's not part of the will but they're there i guess to get what's there. What what exactly? They're, it's all like the big family meeting, and they're gonna do oh, they're doing the ceremony because it's the anniversary of the of the sister's death.
0: Slash wedding.
1: Slash wedding for Richard and Kane is her name. I don't know. The other girl, the girl I got confused with. <laughs> yeah, her name is Kane, which right there you think that she's the killer, but not. Uh <laughs> so there's a wedding, there's a ceremony, and while they're there, I love this part where like, I guess our villain, Louise, she is gonna sort of, she sneaks around the house, she gathers all these items from the dead daughter, and she's gonna plant them and pretend that she's, like, a medium and get in the good graces. But I feel the grift is, like, she's gonna pretend she's talking to the spirit and the mother's gonna be, like, you know, close to her and it starts working, you know, like that was the crazy thing. And then she's murdered. I loved it. I love that twist. And then the mom is still like, where, what happened to her? Where'd she go? And the whole movie, everyone thinks that maybe she'd like stole the tiara and took off or whatever, or like just, just, you know, got the hell out of there and stuff. So like, that was a fun mystery to see like who killed, who killed Louise. And then who ends up trying to kill the mother who kills. Yeah. The poacher. Like bodies start to start adding up, and and I like the um the whole sort of axe killer in the silhouette. So yeah, for starters, I like that stuff.
0: Yeah, look, this movie is so short that you know we don't really need to get you know no, I don't know if it's a pun, but this movie is in the literal weeds a lot, but we don't need to get too, <laughs> too much in the weeds about yeah, yeah. it. But yeah, all the stuff you mentioned are the stuff I had in my notes. Um, that switcheroo, I know it's been done a million times on horror. It still gets me every time, you know, when you follow one narrator. Yeah. There's, a, there's a literary term for this, and, like, boom, it's someone else's story.
1: You know why I think I like it a little more? It's a little less jarring than Psycho, because we don't kind of start all over again with new characters. Like, you know, we're already introduced. It's more Agatha Christie, because we're like, we know all the players. Yeah. And then one's going to get taken out unexpectedly and so we don't have to start the whole thing over we don't have to like do flashbacks to like what was really going on it's all it's all on the board in this movie whereas in psycho you know we cut to the sister and then she goes to Bates, and it's almost like the movie starts over in a sense and not that i don't enjoy that for psycho but like i'm glad the way that this plays out i think it worked very well for this movie
0: the underwater stuff in this movie, oh. I thought it was really amazing, especially for the time and the budget yes. when you consider it.
1: I don't know how they did it. There's the stuff in the beginning where the, the, the guy's body is, is floating to the bottom and then it turns into the opening credits and then the stuff later where Louise is is in the bottom of the lake and I got chills when I saw the sort of, the grave at the bottom of the lake. Like, just that, I, that concept is very scary and chilling down, like, to be at the bottom of the lake and then see basically like a tombstone down there. Crazy. Yeah,
0: and the, all the doll stuff in this movie is really cool. It's really Oh, creepy. yeah, the
1: creepy dolls, and they're creeping around in her room. Um, yeah, so Coppola knows the aesthetic to go for, okay? Like, he knows what to focus the eye on. He knows what unnerves people. I thought the score was really good, too. Like, it really serviced, you know, the, the movie very well. Lots of cool organ stuff, but then also just strange noises and things to make you go like what was that yeah you know i think you know if uh, what was really funny too is the one brother richard richard the artist in the barn uh this is going to sound <laughs> insane but reminded me of have you seen jaws the revenge jaws 4 um the the I, I wife in so. that like when they get to the bahamas she's like a welding artist and she works in a garage like that and it just oh really i was like oh i've seen that before
0: how about how about this idea? There has to be like a term for this, in textbooks have had to like direct a horror film. But there's that character like in uh, Halloween who's like this. It's just like either the detective in this, it's the doctor. But that goes oh, back yeah. to like that goes back to the films you cover, Monsters That Made Us. There's like always this character who's like wow, Van Helsing. Van Helsing, of course, yeah. like Van Helsing and Dracula. Who's <laughs> this like? Side character who sort of becomes a main character because he's an he's un, he's unfolding
1: the murder to us or whatever yeah. it is, whatever the
0: mystery is. And it's the oh. doctor
1: here. Let's get into the doctor then because what a prick of a character. <laughs> like I couldn't believe how hard of an of an asshole he was. But also, did you by any chance recognize this actor from anything no, in no, particular? So Patrick McGee, I could tell immediately by the voice, he's in Clockwork Orange. He is the guy they visit that Alex, uh, Alex and his friends assault at the opening of the movie, and then at the end he is trying to exact his revenge on Alex. Yeah, that's the guy, Patrick yeah, McGee. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, I could. I was like, he got, he got some fucking good acting in this movie.
0: So Patrick McGee was on that other film that he was a sound editor on. So he's one of the people yes. from that. Film yeah, that the
1: Fast did. and the Furious type movie. That he did, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Proto, wow. Fast and Furious.
0: That's really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, that is that Coppola and Kubrick uh, would work with. So he got him first. He would go to Kubrick. I think you know, ten years later or so. But
0: well, think, one right? one day, Mike will do our another podcast like Final Cut Kubrick because you know he does <laughs> he doesn't have other cuts of his films.
1: Yeah, no, he doesn't.
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, and I was gonna mention with this guy. He is so determined to find the killer that he ruins the wedding, essentially. Like, you can't do this afterwards, where or he takes, like, the wax version of of the little girl who died
1: and, like, yeah. plants his trap during the wedding. I'm like, come on. He was trying to flush out the murderer, and, like, that, so many more people could have gotten axed at that wedding. You know, I think, like, I get what you're saying, but time was of the essence, my boy. Well, and, do it the day uh, before. The day before. He had just found it. He he was literally just found the dead All body right. and, and was like, okay. I was actually gave him some props for having a plan to hatch so quickly. But I understand, like, it's not the most... It's not the best thing to do, but, like, they're trying to solve this, you know? (laughs) What else is he going to do? The thing he shouldn't have done was sort of, like, hide in the bushes like a peeper. Like, you know, he should have ran to some guest and been like, look what's outside. Yeah,
0: no, he was a character that really uh, intrigued me. The family dynamic with the brothers was interesting. Again, spoiler alert, but one (laughs) of the brothers ends up being the killer. I I thought it was a
1: little predictable. Well, they, they make Richard out to be such a hard ass from the beginning, like... He's even got like a resting mean face, you know, like he's being so, so like doting on Kane and they're kissing and stuff, but it looks like he wants to strangle her, but he's like, I love you, my darling. And I'm so glad to see you. And we're finally together. But the look on his face is just like, (laughs) I pissed off. Uh, So I kind of thought it was him for a while. I mean, I knew it was probably Billy because like, he's the one having the repressed, the like memories surface, and he's got all that going on, and he talks about like, he's the first one, I think, to talk about the sister. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it could only have been like two or three people. I mean, it would have been crazy if it was Kane, the, the girl, for whatever reason. I mean, at one point I even thought maybe it could have been the doctor, because he seems to hate everybody <laughs> in his family so much that he could just axe them all. <laughs> Once they showed
0: the girl who died the sister who died with a brother around her age i figured i figured it was that brother because like it kind of made sense to me
1: what i did like though is um there's sort of like this this thing that gives it more of like a agatha christie thing to me is that at the end you sort of get like a whole truth sort of ending uh where it's like yeah the the brother billy like he was freaking out because of his sister's death, but we find out he actually caused her death. Like he wanted the little toy trumpet from her and he, she wouldn't give it up. And he ended up mm-hmm. pushing her in the lake and then like running away. So I like that too, because the whole movie I was like, Oh, he's just freaking out because he found her or he heard about it. And like, you know, it would make sense on a level to like, have trouble dealing with that up until adulthood if you were present, you know, especially if you're youngest, you know, they should have done the thing from The Wizard and made it a twin, you know, that movie, The Wizard, when... Fred Savage. Uh, It's the same thing. Like the little boy's twin sister drowns and he needs to go to California and put the pictures in the dinosaur after winning the Nintendo championship. Like he kind of adjusted a little more well than this dude did. But then again, this dude actually caused, we find out, I like that extra sort of button. We find out that Billy caused the death. So he feels like a murderer and so therefore becomes a murderer.
0: I think my overall take on the film is that it feels like less of a B movie than it should have been? Maybe that's why Corman didn't like it, right? Like, hmm, good point. Yeah, the girl gets in her lingerie at one point and starts swimming, but it's not, you know, it's not insane. Like, Corman's making, for lack of a better word, like titty pictures as well, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Exploitation. Exploitation. He's making exploitation. <laughs> that's a better and word. This, for it. this doesn't. And and you're right, like this doesn't feel like that. Not this at all. This feels more like a foreign film. This feels like an Irish American movie or something. you know what I'm saying? Like this feels like more like a foreign sensibility. And I think maybe because it wasn't made in America and he had all those hands off it and it was just him like he was tapping into something else. He was taking it more seriously, I think, than Roger expected, right?
0: And there are lulls in the film that you know, watching a lot of those other B movies They sometimes would try to shove more action there that Francis doesn't do. Instead, he's creating like tension, arguably familiar tension, like family tension, like we'll see in The Godfather, things like that. So, good point. It's definitely a very worthy part of his catalog, not just because it's one of the first things, but like you can tell the things that he enjoys, the storytelling he enjoys doing. And it's family stuff, and it's like I'll use the word tension again, you know what I mean? And, and it's like, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm impressed that he didn't try to kiss Roger Corman's ass and show <laughs> naked women and a lot of, like, gory murder stuff, yeah. at least in this version, that he was yeah. like, let me tell the story I want to tell.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's probably, it would have been his only chance is the way I, it looks, right? Otherwise, the, you know... Roger would have just put him on one of those movies. He would have done like a cheerleader movie or like a biker <laughs> movie or something like that, you know? And like, there's not as much room to navigate that and to and to do what you want than there is in stuff like horror, you know, because horror can be more cerebral. It can be more about the idea and the themes and you don't need as much gore as you think most of the time, you know? I mean, and, and like later, you know, J- Jaws will be pointed at, as sort of like the prime example, right? Like we didn't even see the fucking shark and everyone was terrified to go in the water. Well, there's sort of stuff like that going on here as well with her snooping around that big, creepy fucking castle that's haunted, you know, like there's just because of the story elements and the themes and stuff like it can get in your head to be like, it's just kind of giving me chills to watch her, you know, Go through someone's bedroom because of how it's lit, because of how she's creeping, because of the music. Like he really knows how to kind of set that stage perfectly, and it's not just horror, but like we, you know, he's done it in all those other mediums too. He can do amazing action. And I don't feel like Apocalypse Now is is just action for action's sake. Like, everything seems to service the story first and foremost, which which isn't necessarily written at the top of Roger Corman's notebook, right? Service <laughs> the story first. No, that is not one of his rules, but that is one of Francis's rules. Anything
0: else you want to mention uh, about the film in particular, Mike? Dimension 18?
1: Um, yeah, again, like, it's just, I was really surprised how much it got to me. I don't know, I like, I, I really like these sort of more supernatural kind of, like, idea horror movies, like, because this isn't, there is, there's no monster, there is no kind of magic, there is none of that, but a lot of that is talked about, and a lot of superstition and everything, and it just turns out to be, you know, an axe-wielding maniac, uh, but it sort of takes the root of all of that supernatural stuff is going on. It's almost like, if I may, Dan and I over on the monsters that made us a lot, we talk about this guy, this producer, Val Luton, who did this one very, he did a a lot of very famous movies, but one, I think it's the cat people and there's no monster. Like you never see the cat. It's all just the vibe of, and feeling of, you know, the tone and everything. And so I think Francis came out on top with all of that for sure. And, you know, unfortunately that's not everybody's cup of tea, but if that is your cup of tea, I think you're really gonna enjoy this one, and it's a nice burn, and I plan on watching it again, and I, and I look forward to seeing the ne- the next cut as well.
0: And Mike, you're right about that. I was gonna mention that too, like the teasing of the supernatural, it doesn't end up being yeah. there, but like, you're in this, you know, Irish castle, which actually shot in like an Irish castle, and you almost feel like something's going on. There could be ghosts and it ends up not being that. But again, the tensions he's creating with that being a possibility supports the potential mystery here. So
1: yeah, that's the trick. That's the key is to not get pissed off when it's not a ghost at the end of the movie. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, honestly, like, cause, cause, uh, cause t- most of the time I am because it's not, it's not sort of prepared you for the for the right ending you know what I'm saying and so there's a couple films like I think the haunted is another big one where it's like or and even um that Vincent Price one uh, house on haunted hill right like there's no ghost or monster but like the whole movie is predicated on there is like somewhere in this house you have to survive this house overnight and you'll get money but like it's a haunted house so another thing I wasn't expecting, like I was definitely expecting a, a ghost to pop up or something and it didn't, and it didn't piss me off. And in fact, I was just more, I was actually more impressed by how it went. So, you know, it might be simplistic in times, but he does, he does add nice twists and turns along the way to, to sort of keep you, keep it sort of fresh and on its toes.
0: And, and I'll remind everyone out there again, He's 23 years old. What were you <sighs> 23. doing at 23?
1: <laughs> He's like the Robert Rodriguez of his day. He was 19 when he did uh, El Mariachi, I believe. Insane, um, but 23, insane. I think, when he did Desperado or something. So, like, oh my God.
0: Just absolutely insane. And obviously, he would go on to have a great career that we cover here on Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar. Well, Mike. My- oh, yeah this is awesome talking Dementia 13. I can't, you're right. I can't wait to talk the other cuts. We gotta, we gotta lay our groundwork in 2023 so that we could start mm-hmm. talking other cuts. Uh, and again, I cannot wait.
1: Yeah. We got to get through a couple first cuts before we get to those second cuts of those movies. If anything else too, you know, it would be an experiment, Brian, if you and I personally recut one of his films ourselves. With the I wish should, we could. Yeah. Had.
0: Yeah. That'd be amazing. <laughs> It's hard enough to cut our episodes in time, so.
1: Well, I, what time? I mean, you know, we have till <laughs> as long as it takes if we want, but I know, <laughs> What movie, if, you know, this is, you could cut this if you want, but like, is there a Francis movie you would like to try to recut? If the Coda hadn't come out, I would love to try to recut Godfather 3. Mm. I would like to try and 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 maybe turn all three movies into one somehow by flashing forward and back and back and forward. Ooh. Like imagine halfway through Godfather two, Michael flashes all the way forward to Godfather three. to <laughs> <Nimo Bilari. laughs>
0: I want to cut apocalypse now and the Godfather together somehow. And
1: Ooh.
0: I, and I'll CGI Michael Coleon in Vietnam.
1: So you're talking Uncle Francis Cinematic Universe. <laughs> yeah, the,
0: the Uncle Francis Cinematic Universe. I love it. The UFCU, I guess.
1: <laughs> so we could have like Gene Hackman from, from um, the conversation. We can have him snooping on uh, Robin Williams' Jack in his treehouse <laughs> and what's going on.
0: <laughs> hey, if you need a lawyer called Danny DeVito, it works. <laughs> well, Mike, uh, I don't know if, you know if you remember But last time we I mean, we kind of fixed the ending phrase Even though you like my Keep your friends close and podcasters closer I like using it to yes. introduce the podcast That's been, good and, and by the way, by the way Check out all the other shows on the Cage Club Podcast Network It's called Uncle Francis Because nephew Nikki, Nikki Coppola Nicholas Cage is the patron saint of this network. And Mike, you are one of the co-founders of the network doing that aforementioned show, Cage Club.
1: Yes, yes. So Joey and I uh, hosts of the titular Cage Club, the first show. And oh, special announcement. So Cage's new movie, The Old Way, Cage's done a Western, finally. If you've listened to that show, you know I've been waiting for years for him to do a Western. It comes out like the 6th of January. So Joey and I are going to try and do that episode very soon. So stay tuned to that. I also mentioned the monsters that made us uh, earlier. Dan Colon and myself are going through the history of the universal monster movies. The last Friday of every month and a new episode out now is Abbott and Costello meet the invisible man, which is the second monster that Abbott and, actually they met Frankenstein, but in that they also met Dracula and the Wolfman. So this is the third, fourth monster they meet, uh, but second monster anyway, whatever. Second movie, fourth monster. We're still going strong. What else, Brian? You and I have this show. I'm also over on High School Slumber Party a lot. I have my show Third Time's a Charm. You were on that episode. Uh, that We did the new Jurassic World Part 3, which was an interesting conversation. I wanted human hybrid dinosaur shooting machine guns, and I also wanted Chris Pratt playing Mario riding a raptor called Yoshi. Tune into that and <laughs> everything else. Club. me.
0: yeah and you mentioned high school slumber party high school slumber party AP some other stuff in 2023 Uh 2022 was a little bit of a lighter year for me podcasting believe it or not which is still I think an active year for a lot of people but <laughs> and, that, and that's not a brag that's not a brag that's more of a pat on the back and not to diss myself so much I feel like I did put out a lot of episodes just yeah not as much as 2021 and 2020 for sure 2020 I put out a lot of episodes because I wasn't doing much <laughs> But 2023, I feel like is going to be a very good year for me podcasting and hopefully for all your nice. listeners out there. And a lot of that is because of the wonderful things you and I are doing here, Mike, on Uncle Francis's Wine Cellar.
1: Yes, they are.
0: So, Mike, uh, we're t- we took the gun out of it. Do you remember the real closing? Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, leave the podcast. Take the cannolis. This is
0: the end.